Welcome back to the People of the Way podcast, a conversation for adults who want to raise children to grow up in every way to Jesus Christ. You can find out more about us by visiting peopleoftheway.org or by joining the People of the Way private Facebook group, where you are invited to interact more personally online with us and with the topics we discuss here on audio. I'm Sarah Cowan Johnson, a ministry trainer, consultant, and coach based in Providence, Rhode Island. And you can learn more about me and my work at sarahcowanjohnson.com. That's Sarah with an H and Cowan with an A-N. And that's also where you can learn more about my new book releasing this Ooh. August <laughs> entitled Teach Your Children Well, a Step-by-Step Guide for Family Discipleship. Many of us have heard that big bad statistic that 50% of high school students actively involved in their churches walk away from their faith after graduation. And actually, it turns out there is one thing that makes a drastic difference in that statistic, and it's not church programming or youth pastors or anything like that. It's parents who talk about and practice their faith in the home. 82% of kids who parent, whose parents do that go on to follow Jesus as adults. And so my book is designed to equip parents to do just that. So some other things about me, I'm also mom to Noah and Silas, wife to Gregory, um, and I'm daughter of Father Lang Cowan, the other boys that you just heard. And a little bit more about him. With my late mom, Hallie, Uh, He founded the Abbey of the Way, a home and ministry of spiritual formation and prayer for developing Christian leaders who live and serve deeply in Christ through a way of life based on the virtues of Jesus and the vision of God. So you can find out more about him and all about the Abbey at abbeyoftheway.us. So in this conversation, then we cover three generations, my dad's generation, mine and my husband's and that of my children and his grandchildren. And we reflect here on how parents and grandparents can teach our children well, doing our part in raising up the next generation to walk the way of Jesus so that they, by the grace of God, may one day raise up the next generation of Jesus followers. That's what we want to do. So in our conversations, we talk about adopting various spiritual practices or disciplines as parents and grandparents, and inviting our children or grandchildren to share in them with us. But we do so with a purpose, that we and our kids will become more like Jesus, showing forth his virtues of faith, hope, and love. So the disciplines help us to focus on God, who then plants these virtues in us and in our children by the Holy Spirit. In this way, Jesus comes to live out his life in and through us, including the youngest of us. So in this sixth episode of this podcast, which got temporarily derailed about two years worth during the (laughs) epidemic, we want to focus on Jesus's virtue of hope. And one aspect of that hope is restfulness, restfulness. You know, if you think about the life of Jesus, it's really interesting that he was never hurried. He was presented with situations that would have certainly made me hurry, such as the impending death of his friend Lazarus or a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee, or being invited to stone a woman who had been brought before him on charges of adultery. But in each case, Jesus acted slowly, deliberatively, and calmly. In the case of the woman, he rode on the ground for a while. What was that? Well, Jesus walked, not ran, through his life of 33 years. During his last three years, he had very full days, such that at one point his family was worried since crowds were preventing him and his disciples from even having time to eat. But what they didn't see is what we readers are let in on in the gospel stories of his life. Jesus learned how to stop, 
to pause in order to rest with his friends, his disciples in their homes, or to pray in the church or the temple or the synagogue of his day. We see him enjoying a wedding at Cana, dining in the homes of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and even Matthew the tax collector, pausing even to converse with a woman at a well in Samaria. So Jesus was restful. And a key to this was the many times he drew away from others and from his work to be alone with his heavenly father. Jesus was found to be restful in the presence of the one who is rest, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jesus' hope was in God, and it showed in the restful way that he entrusted the course and the outcome of his life to him. Well, in these hectic and frenetic days, we all, including our children, feel an underlying anxiety and hyperactivity. Everything urges us to do, 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 do. And we pass along that lifestyle to our children. So Jesus would diagnose us with the same disease that he saw in Martha when he said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He would join the psalmist in asking us, why do you rise early and go to bed late? eating the bread of anxious toil. And so he says to us, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and let the little children come to me as well, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus invites us to learn from him how to behold his heavenly father, the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, the one who's made peace with us through the blood of his son, and who wants us to enter into that peaceful presence moment by moment so that we can find rest. We learn that from Jesus. He says, come, learn from me. Learn how to rest. Jesus wants his peace to be with us, to remain in us and in our children, such that we and they can become restful and invite others into that rest with us. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> and, um, it's a great picture. <laughs> the reality is a little different, as you'll now tell us. Right. So it's, how, it's hard work sometimes to rest. Yeah. How do we do this? How do we and our children enter into that deep rest, enter deeply into the peace of God, the shalom of God, so that we're able to be people marked by rest in a culture that tells us to hustle and to fill ourselves <laughs> with all kinds of experiences and to keep moving and striving and hustling until we die. I'm sure you've heard, you know, the I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of attitude. And so how can we encourage each other and especially our children to find true rest when everything around us seems to be moving faster and faster and everyone's hearts are more and more anxious and distressed. So in this podcast, um, each episode, we discuss ways of intentionally parenting or discipling our children to help them to walk in the virtuous way of Jesus and this month, yes, we're focusing on rest. And as we've said before, we do this in different ways, depending on the different stages of faith development for uh, children and adults. And so specifically when it comes to children, we're looking at three different developmental faith stages. And these are from John Westerhoff. We look at the experiential stage, which is our littlest ones. This is age zero to roughly about age six, so preschool age. These are uh, the ones who learn by doing, experiential. Then we move into the affiliative stage. This is older elementary and preteen, so about age seven to 11-ish. And these are the ones who learn by belonging, that uh, I believe because we believe, because my people believe. 
And then as we move into adolescence and teenage years, uh, the searching stage, and these are the kids who learn by questioning, testing, and exploring. And so across all stages, the discipline that we're going to explore together this month is the practice of Sabbath keeping. How do we do that with little kids? How do we do that with middle kids? How do we do that with teenagers? And how do we do that ourselves? So the word Sabbath literally means to stop to cease one's labors, or at least the anxious and troubled way that we approach them. Now, I remember when I was a mom of an infant and I listened to a sermon on Sabbath and I thought, this person does not understand my world. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> our labor as parents literally cannot stop because our yeah. children would die, right? So what does it mean to rest even uh, from the things that we can't cease um, in a way that is from that place of non anxiousness and deep shalom. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. He ceased work for a full day on the Sabbath. He rested and relaxed with his friends, and he also rested with God in solitude and prayer. On the Sabbath, instead of traveling by animal, he traveled slowly by foot. He enjoyed the people and God's creation that he passed along the way. And we're invited to do that as well, to be Sabbath keepers and to teach our children to be Sabbath keepers as well, so that we regularly enter into true rest once a week uh, with the God of peace. Now, some of us may have some baggage around the concept of Sabbath. For some of us, the idea of keeping Sabbath conjures up images of church and church and more church or a day of these kind of austere and sometimes sanctimonious spiritual exercises with maybe other forms of rest and play being pushed to the side. And that's actually not the vision of Sabbath that we see in scripture or that we want to talk about today. Jesus himself reacted against such interpretations of Sabbath keeping, stating that the Sabbath was made for our benefit and not the other way around. He would echo God's word in Isaiah that the Sabbath is to be a delight. His, de his delight seemed to be whenever he was in the presence of God and other people. And so his Sabbath day was spent in the company of others including time spent in the synagogue in worship. But he also gave himself freedom from his work to enjoy time with his friends, to sleep soundly, even in the midst of a storm, and to draw near to his father in personal prayer. So make no mistake, Jesus obviously worked hard, whether it was in the carpenter shop in Nazareth or in ministry settings throughout Israel, but he didn't seem to work from a place of hustle and striving and toil. He always seemed to be able to keep in view the God of peace shalom of God, which enabled him to rest, not in sort of a boring, austere, like lonely, awful place, but actually in a, in a way in which caused him great delight. And that's what we want to talk about today. Sabbath as delight. That's it. Yeah. It, you know, and, and we're talking about just disciplines, including this particular discipline of Sabbath, but we're going to suggest that it involves more than just one day. It's a kind of a way of life that we learn how to stop and cease so that we can connect with the peaceful presence of God. That's what he did. And it's in God that we can find our rest and God with other people and other circumstances. So when Sarah and her sister Betsy uh, were growing up, Hallie and I had already become Sabbath keepers, at least in the Sunday sense of it. Somehow, even as a pastor's and campus minister's family, who both had some Sunday responsibilities, we came to believe that the Lord's Day was to be a delight, beginning sundown on Saturday through sundown on Sunday. We began the day, and Sarah will explain this a little more, with a special dinner on Saturday to welcome the Sabbath when we put out the best china, cooked a really good meal, and enjoyed great conversation together. That represented for all of us a real break from the toil. 
some of that anxious toil of the days prior. I can remember you, Sarah, you know, mm -hmm. carefully putting out all the silverware. <laughs> we had a little placemat that had a place for a plate. You know, it, it, it was lined out so the kids could put it out. We shared stories of how we might have seen God at work in the previous week and what we called a God hunt. And I know Sarah's done some uh, communication about what that is. As we concluded our meal, we blessed one another. And this was really great, declaring that peace with God and with each other over each one of us. We just pray blessing into each other. And I can tell you as a parent, there's not much better than hearing your child speak a eulogy, which literally means good words about you before you die. <laughs> now on Sunday, we did do church and Hallie and I often offered our gifts there. She would often do choir, trumpet, sometimes Sunday school, I would do the pastor things. But when we were done with worship, we were done. We actively resisted holding meetings or doing more ministry during the rest of the day, opting instead for rest with our kids, such as a walk, a short trip, a game, a nap, which we all enjoyed, sports on TV, or just some conversation. In this way, we all came to believe that our God is a God of peace and that we can rest and find our hope in him. Practicing this element of Sabbath then began to invade the rest of the week as we all learned ways of stopping the rat race, resting in the presence of the one who repeatedly was saying to us, peace, 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 be with you. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I have such fond memories of those days, and I don't have some of the, you know, some of the baggage that uh, many PK kids have of um, Sunday being a an absent <sighs> day. You know, yeah. I do remember taking yeah. forever to get, home from church right <laughs> well i've got something because to say about that we yeah. shared one car but once we got home yes dad was present um we were all present so if i could recommend honestly one spiritual practice to change the spiritual culture and spiritual temperature of your home honestly for me it would be sabbath keeping and again please don't imagine some kind of boring day of silence or church meetings. Um, this is a day for worship, yes, but then for play and rest and the gift of undistracted, undistracted intentional family time, which is an incredibly countercultural practice in our current moment. So one thing that we've been doing in our home, influenced by our friends, Andrew and Corey Mook, is to begin our Sabbath with that evening meal, as dad described, although ours is not fine china and <laughs> the fancy meal we do pizza oh, too bad too bad <laughs> <laughs> pizza and movie family movie night um but before we do that we um set up and frame the day ahead around four sabbath values rest rejoicing resetting and worship so we light four candles one for each of these values rest rejoice reset and worship and then each family member who is verbal all of mine are verbal um shares how they plan to embody those values in the day ahead so when we get to the rest one you know greg and i usually share things we won't do over the next uh 24 hours we won't look at the bills we won't um you know scrub <laughs> the sink uh the things we won't do how are we going to intentionally rest we do sleep in on Saturday morning, which is wonderful with older kids. Um, when we get to rejoice, you know, Greg and I will think about let's do a bike ride or let's go, you know, go to take a picnic in the park. Um, the kids, their rejoicing is that they get to have a little bit of screen time on Saturday morning while we're sleeping. So that always comes up as a, a way that they plan to rejoice is by playing old school Nintendo games. Um, resetting. 
sometimes our kids struggle to, to know how to wrap their minds around this value. So this one often is uh, for Greg and me, but sometimes creative projects that aren't work, such as, um, you know, yeah, a creative, I was really into like bracelet making for a while, or sometimes even gardening, if it passes the sort of not toil test, um, can be a way to reset and think about kind of the week past and the week ahead or practicing the exam of consciousness or journaling. These are ways to sort of reset for the week ahead and then worship. Um, obviously we practice corporate worship by gathering with the church, but, um, Andrew and Corey and their family, one of the ways they embody this value during the Sabbath is they have kind of a, an unstated family rule that any music played in their home on the Sabbath is worship music. And I, I love that idea. It's great. So um, just a couple of ideas for different ages, keeping Sabbath with different ages of kids. So for experiential, first of all, for parents of babies, I kind of love the mantra, like nobody rests unless everybody rests. Like there's just no way to keep a Sabbath with little tiny kids. If you're trying to take your Sabbath separately, everybody has to rest together or nobody's going to rest. Um, and so really not just sort of individually picking, I keep my Sabbath on Monday and you keep your Sabbath on Tuesday, but really choosing to keep the Sabbath together as a family. Um, for, you know, small children, I think creating fun Sabbath routines that they will look forward to and associate with Sabbath. So like our pizza movie night, kids love that, obviously. And then we do a special breakfast in the morning, pancakes, waffles, whatever they choose. And that is something before they understand the meaning of Sabbath, they associate Sabbath with things that they love and That's then great. they get our full undivided attention all day. And they love that as well. And that is really different from frankly, some points in the rest of the week. So they really learn the rhythms of Sabbath before they understand what we're doing and why moving into the affiliative stage. I think this is where we can begin to help them understand the purpose of Sabbath and the idea that we're not slaves and that God is at work while we rest. And so one way that we have done this with one of our children who tends to be anxious about schoolwork is to say, you know what, you do not need to do schoolwork on the Sabbath. And so for some kids that is like, woohoo, permission and for other <laughs> children, that's going to be a place of their own discipleship and trusting God. Is it safe for me to take a day off of homework. Um, why don't we clean, you know, why don't we kind of do massive cleaning on the <laughs> Sabbath? So I think in the affiliative stage, you're helping them to understand the choices that you're making and even the freedom and permission that comes with that. Yeah. Well, I would imagine too, with that particular child, you're, you're offering <laughs> an invitation. Yes. You're not saying there will be no homework in this. No, no. right. That's right. the kind of stuff that just isn't Sabbath, you know, Right. Uh, I'll mention something about that, but you know, right. Yeah. No, it's an invitation with, uh, and it, it's possible that your life will not be over if you choose yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, great way to learn that it's possible for us to, to stop and to trust that God will take care of us. And when you get into the searching phase of early and later adolescence, in our case, we needed to give our daughters some rest from the day of rest. Mm -hmm. For example, she spoke about how for, uh, preachers kids generally they have to hang around a long time after worship because you know we're talking with people and then we might be cleaning up or something like that and that was kind of like Ugh, you know can we get out of here well as it turned out we had a blessing we worshiped for a season the public school around the corner from our home and so we then said you can go home right away 
afterwards. You do not have to wait for us to finish connecting with the people that we need to visit. So with. great. And, you know, I think we would have done that. I think we would have found a way to say, could you take our girls home if we had been at the, uh, at the church building? Um, well, it's part think, of the rationale maybe of having the, you know, classic sort of rectory or yeah, uh, parsonage. Yeah, that it's next door, right. But in our case, we were blessed with a parsonage that right. was a mile away. So we really got away from the business of church. Uh, but I think what that did was this opened up your sense and your sisters that God really is a God of rest, mm -hmm. not just for the adults, but for you as well. And if at some point either of them, our children, had decided they really couldn't stand going to worship with us, we would have given them at least a season of Sabbath from the Sabbath. Just the other day, I heard an elder parent describing with conviction how he told his child, as long as she was under his roof, she would join him in church, even when she clearly indicated she got nothing out of it, didn't like it. Now, I appreciate parental authority, discipline, and guidelines, but I don't believe church going is a hill worth dying on for this age group, at least not for the God of peace who wants to make peace with us, and especially with our children, and does not want to war with them. So it's that kind of approach that this searching phase, youth are exploring new ideas, new activities, new relationships. They're testing the boundaries. So much to learn and experience. So as parents and grandparents, we do need to help them to manage their expectations and their limitations while not limiting their ambitions to help them to choose, for example, between one or two extracurricular activities rather than the three or four that some families seek to pursue with each child. It's like they're on a merry-go-round. They're just kind of mm -hmm. loaded up with all this stuff to do. I think the proverbial mom's taxi service needs to know how to get off the chauffeuring merry-go-round. And the, or the seamless, endless borrowing of the family car to do this or that or whatever as a routine. And while we're at it, we parents who often are what is called the owned stage of faith or the discovered stage of faith, we need to manage our unrealistic expectations of what we can do so that we and our kids can take a break mm -hmm. and get God's rest. Now, one other thing, about even 30 years ago, we began to curate our children's use of technology. In their case, telephones, you know, the things you picked <laughs> up and you punched to, to call the number, TV, and our way ahead of its time Mac Plus computer that was <laughs> pointing and clicking from the word get-go. We ourselves recognize the consumptive lure of the screens. Hallie and I had both grown up glued to the TV. And we could see how unrestricted technology would not only waste our children's time, but also create additional anxiety in an already anxiety-prone system that we had inherited from our parents. So how much more so in the years since 2007, when the iPhone was invented, when anxiety and depression levels among adolescents, therefore, just began to skyrocket. And especially after 2009, when Facebook added the like button. And we and our kids now had to manage our online likability. Honestly, given its toxicity, I would rather have parents be prepared to die on the mountain of technology management, not technology ab, you know, abdication, but technology management. I'd rather have them die on that hill than on the molehill of religious observance, since that mountain of technology overuse cannot only lie to our children about God and the blessing of following him, but it can flood them with distress mm. such that it becomes almost impossible 
for them to hear the restful voice of God. I just see this all yeah. over oh, the place. Amen. It, and it's such and it's such hard work. You know, there are battles and so forth and negotiation. You know, you want to kind of come to some kind of compromise. It's the place where uncompromising people have trouble. What were you thinking, Sarah? Oh yeah. I um I mean this is just this is the this is the key parenting issue for yeah. I think this moment, uh, one thing I, w- I just wanted to add about sort of the molehill of religious observance. I um, recently interviewed a family with teenagers who were struggling to connect with their church and uh, parents really wrestling over, do we make them go to church or do we not? Yeah. And so, yeah, um, I think what um, I'm hearing you say is sort of that uh you know, not forcing yeah, the issue yeah. that will lead to probably more of a, a battle. But what I appreciated that these family, this family did was, but they still asked them to do something with the family. So they began a um, actually a Bible study at home and they mm-hmm. did it with takeout mm-hmm. and, um, but it was, okay, if, if we're going to um, release you from this for a season, we're going to add something that you do That's a great enjoy. idea. So That's I loved idea. that idea. Yeah. yeah. The, and, and it means, therefore, it's a little teaching piece, that the Sabbath is not just church and you're done, as some right. people do. You know, they right. go to church and then they're off and running. No, it's a whole day. And there are a variety of ways that we can learn to rest, including to rest in the presence of God in worship. That is really helpful. And I hope what you're getting from this is that um, manifesting the virtue of restfulness is not only in the disciplines of Sabbath and ceasing and resting, but doing those things in order to apprehend and hold on to this vision of the God who is peace. He's the shalom, the one who wants us to be whole, the one who desires to put us back together again after a a week where we've been probably torn in a million different uh, directions. Uh, He wants to set us free from the carefulness of this life. The prophet Isaiah says this, you, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you those whose minds are stayed on you, you will keep them in perfect peace because they trust in you. Their hope is in you. So as we try to keep our hearts and minds focused on God, as we go about our daily lives under his direction, we find him to be the God of peace. Peace that gets perfected in us as we place our hope and our trust in him. And as we come to him, as we get away with him in a variety of ways, we'll be shown real rest as we learn what Eugene Peterson called his unforced rhythms of grace. Great stuff. That's beautiful. That's good. So we invite you to continue the conversation with us in our private Facebook group. You can search for People of the Way on Facebook, or you can visit peopleoftheway.org to join. And in that space, we encourage you to share ideas, suggestions, questions, struggles, as you seek to parent and disciple children and young adults of virtue. So we'll see you next month when we'll look at the virtue of rendering, an old-fashioned word meaning simply giving of ourselves and our substance to God and to others as we behold him who is the giving, self-emptying God. Join us then for the People of the Way 